0: We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. From the
1: capital of the South, this is the Run ATL Podcast. My name is Mike cosentino i have such an esteemed privilege getting the chance to bring to you this broadcast every two weeks the good news for you and certainly for me is i have company when doing so dolomite dave martinez d2 is here with me in studio we are socially distanced we are making it happen d2 it is good to
0: see you my friend good to see you yeah and I mean we were just commenting before we you know flipped on the mics how we had Ben Gray on the last podcast and it seemed like it resonated with a lot of people based on the number of listens so I don't know whether it has to do with the fact that it's not virtual you know that maybe it's the audio quality maybe it's because we're doing it in person have no idea but really want to thank everyone that is tuned in and is listening um, because it just makes it that much worthwhile to come in and, and record these
1: well that is for sure and we said when we came back in studio we were lining up some special guests we've certainly done that this evening richard bullock for those of you where that is not necessarily a household name check this out run is the name of the movie that he directed, part of an amazing portfolio of work from him. It is about the athlete refugee story. It is a documentary that was done with our friends from On Running, one of the fastest growing running brands right now, really of all time that we've seen in our history. But you are going to not only want to to hear this conversation but D2 as you and I know you're going to want to watch this documentary we're going to give people all the details so they can do so for
0: free yeah that's right and and I shared this story with you uh, previously when we lined up this guest um, is that for for you know I think it was about uh, almost 10 years ago maybe nine years ago I was almost going to live abroad in um, in South Sudan when uh, South Sudan got their independence. I was going to do contract work out there and do some training uh, along with the South Sudanese government, and so I would have lived under very similar conditions, living on a on a compound um, surrounded by military contractors, and I would have seen a lot of this firsthand. It you know things did not work out based on the political environment and security and safety for Americans at the time. So it was recommended that, um, you know, that we do not travel, that we do not go. So I, you know, um, obviously didn't go and instead chose to start working for a big peach running company. Um, so, um, but seeing this film, um, was really impactful and just kind of seeing those conditions because, um, aside from being there in person, this is probably the best way to kind of tell the story of what's going on in South Sudan and, and, and in that areas around you know Africa. For sure. And
1: certainly we'll include a link so people can see what we have now seen. This particular film was released on June 20th, which is World Refugee Day. And it really does so incredibly tell a story of unwavering human spirit and really fearless bravery as refugee athletes from the Congo, Ethiopia, Somalia, Morocco, and to your point, D2, South Sudan come together to represent, check this out, 70.8 million displaced people around the world. I was in Rio. I remember this as being kind of a sub story for the games that year. And now from those Olympic games, right up and through very, very recently, Richard Bullock tracks what is going on with this team and what legendary Kenyan athlete, Madam Tegla LaRoupe has done to bring not just this team together, but to keep it together and to persist. We'll see of course, how things track between now and now next year with the Olympics being rescheduled. But this is a story people are not going to want to miss. And we're going to get a chance to go behind the scenes to get that story behind the story. Before we do that, before we go to a break, before we introduce everybody to Richard Bullock, you are telling a story to me I don't like to hear. You're on the DL, my friend. Not only do we have quarantine time, we have reason to get more miles, perhaps more minutes living a pedestrian active lifestyle, and yet you go out and get injured?
0: Yeah, it was one of those... uh you know, kind of fluke type accidents that happen, um, you know, I was out going for a normal run um, out around my neighborhood and, you know, doing, you know, what is responsible to do is social distancing. I was on the sidewalk and I saw a walker on the same side of the sidewalk that I was running on. And in order to provide him enough distance, I hopped off the sidewalk and did not, I guess, necessarily see where I was landing and, you know, um my landing foot landed fine but my my second uh step ended up landing on a crack uh i guess that you know was a very uneven surface so i ended up rolling my foot and rolled the ankle but it wasn't the ankle that actually got impacted it was um it was my foot so i guess it was the tendons and my toes and all that that got twisted and luckily I was a quarter mile uh, from being done with my run and being done from, from my apartment. So I ended up hobbling painfully, you know, home and, um, was very concerned because I did not know whether I broke it, you know, what had happened. I thought I'd torn something, uh, because it was, it was the worst pain that I'd ever felt from a running injury. Even when I had it band issues in my first marathon, um, But then again, those memories could have faded and it just doesn't seem as severe. Um, But it was it was it was very bad. And so I've I've basically have done very little movement for the first probably, you know, four days, uh, just putting a lot of ice on it, Um, you know, could not really walk on it and. You know, finally by the fifth day, uh, I could walk on it, could put a shoe on. It wasn't a lot of swelling. Still don't know what it is or what happened and what's injured, um, but it has gotten better um, just by icing it every day and just kind of being off my feet. So, haven't now run in uh, about a week. And it may be another week before I even attempt to run just to be on the safe side. Um, there's still a little bit of discomfort, a little bit of pain. Um, but now it's more of a dull pain instead of a sharp pain. So, um, so yeah, so I haven't been running and like many people you're probably going, Oh man, well, you know, it's like, well, luckily we don't have any races. So it wasn't like I'm sideline and like my training is shot and that, you know, my, you know, you know, attempt at a PR that I was going for at this next race is, is blown out. It's not, I had nothing planned. There's nothing planned anyway. Everything's canceled. So that's kind of on the positive side of it. And I'm also kind of looking at it now and saying, okay, well, this is an opportunity uh, for me to do more strength training, to do more stretching, to do more uh, core type work so that when I am back and running, that I will be back, you know, stronger and fitter than I was before. And, um, You know, just using that time and trying to, you know, just be more positive about it and just kind of looking at the other side uh, and seeing kind of, you know, started looking at it negatively like, oh, I can't run. I'm sidelined. I'm going to lose my fitness. This is a perfect opportunity to use that time that I would have been using running to actually focus on things that I was neglecting um like core and strength training and um so that's how I'm looking at it I think that's a a great way of kind of looking at it because I know a lot of people get discouraged and they feel like oh my training's done and you know we don't lose our fitness our running fitness quite as fast as people think so I'm going to kind of start maybe by the end of this week I will walk for an extended period of time before I start running and kind of ease into it and and then if 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 there is a serious issue that I feel like it's going to prevent me from running, um, then I will go see a specialist. I'll see our friends, you know, Dr. You know, Perry Julian and Charles Peebles and have them take an x-ray. I don't think I broke anything because the pain has subsided, but staying off of it and not rushing through it is the advice that they would give me. And so, um, and I think I've got to follow that advice and, and the advice I would give others. So I'm trying to live up to that as well.
1: You can hear their guidance ringing through your ears. You've given us good guidance during those recommended off periods. Getting out and doing the core work or the strength training, and of course, what you're demonstrating right now, keeping that positive attitude, looking ahead. One of the things that I will say for sure is that in those unexpected seasons of taking some time off, you can even further find what it is that you're going to do coming back because you're just that much more excited about getting after it. So, I'm sure you'll let us know what this off time has meant. The other thing I will tell you my goodness, how cool it! is it that you now have called out not just do not go too aggressively too quickly if you are adding mileage or minutes during this pandemic, but safe transitions during social distance, running and walking, those matter as well. That's probably something you would not have had to worry about not that long ago. Now, as you give people the latitude and the distance they deserve do so safely. Watch the curbs. Watch the cracks. Make sure there's no traffic coming your way. Give them the space, but don't give yourself the same experience D2 gave him self, and that is an injury.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's very easy to kind of maybe even be angry and saying, "Well, if 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 I hadn't jumped off the curb, or maybe if there wasn't a walker, it's like you know what, you know, I'm not looking at it that way, you know." And I would say that at least in my neighborhood, I run around Brookhaven. Is that there's not a whole lot of people. Um, there are more and more that I've seen prior to COVID you know, that are out and about running or walking and just you know being active. Um, but for the most part, you know because you know we talk about masking, wearing masks, you know, and we hear it everywhere, right? And as we exercise, we do not wear masks. We're outdoors; it's not a requirement. But at the same time, everyone is very conscientious about providing that social distancing. If you're running, you know, we kind of look at each other and we give ourselves a distance, whether it's hopping off to the curb or going across the street. And, you know, I've never found an interaction where someone was right on top of me, um, where I didn't feel comfortable because of the social distance wasn't there. And so I feel like it was my responsibility as, you know, um, you know, as a human being, as someone who is just you know very conscientious about what's going on in the world, to do my best to social distance, um, which why I will wear a mask if I'm out in public. And if I'm out running, I'm choosing to run in areas where it's not heavily populated, so I don't have to wear a mask. And I can enjoy my run like I normally would, and at the same time, respect the boundaries and spaces of others by doing my best to social distance while I'm out and about. Well, speaking
1: of that coronavirus, it does have a byline in the story that you're going to hear more about. Certainly, you will want to get ready for the link. We're going to send you in the show notes. You're going to want to be ready for this conversation. It is a good one. Right after this brief message, we will have Richard Bullock, director of Run.
0: The athlete refugee team story. Do your feet hurt? Feel any discomfort in your joints or lower back when you run? Your shoes might be the root of the problem. Whatever your fitness level, your feet should be comfortable and your shoes shouldn't be the cause of an injury or keep you from achieving your fitness goals. Come into any of our seven Big Peach running company locations for a free three step fit process, including a video gait analysis. Our professional fitters will help get you into shoes that fit so you can enjoy running walking or any activity that requires you to be on your feet our 100 percent satisfaction guarantee will give you peace of mind if your new shoes don't live up to your expectations simply return them no problems no hassles no time limit we want to make sure you're completely happy with your shoes so you can achieve your fitness goals visit big peach running company today And
1: welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. You could probably tell from our intro, D2 and I are fired up about this conversation. I know I personally went from zero to well past 60 on this particular project that I have to admit I was unaware of at the end of last year and heading into even the Olympic Marathon trials here in Atlanta. But once... I got word of what on running was doing, what Richard Bullock had done and run this documentary with the athlete refugee team. And seeing it, I am so amped to be able to share Richard Bullock with you. Richard, all the way from Australia. Hello to you, sir.
2: Hi there. Hi, guys. Very nice to be here talking to you.
1: Well, we certainly appreciate this. And obviously, big fan of the work that you've done. I've had a chance through some preparations for this conversation to learn more about you and your work. So obviously, you are many things, many things beyond just this title. But of course, we're excited to learn more about what you did over three years and on three continents with this athlete refugee team, but in the predictable place to start what was the impetus for this incredibly ambitious project?
2: Um, so initially in uh, 2017 um, I got contacted by I, I in the past I've made some uh, I've made some television documentaries and commercial mix of commercial projects and television documentaries in that space of um, well, I guess you could call it, uh, uh, you know, a charity, non-profit area, that kind of thing. I've I worked in, um, in Peru and in uh, Mongolia shooting films for eye hospitals and I've done heart surgery projects and I've done a whole bunch of these kind of things. So I was sort of in this space and I had an old contact at ON and He phoned me and said, you know, would you be interested in coming in in, uh, to Kenya and telling, you know, just having a look and maybe telling a short story or film about this sponsorship we've started doing. So that's when they first began sponsoring. That was uh, Feliciano Rabagna. And he and Olivier Bernard, who's the founder of one of the founders of on met me in uh, Nairobi and we went to Ngong into the hills. And that was pretty much all I knew. I turned up reasonably unaware of really anything about refugee athletes. I mean, the story initially, I was like, oh, I'd love to go and help out. They need a, a, you know, we're talking like a minute and a half of something or two minutes that they could use online. And I said, yeah, I'd love to go do that. And so that's when I first went to the camp and started seeing and meeting the athletes. And I met Tegla Larupe who's you know the founder yep and i in when i was at the camp i decided to just do a few interviews just on the back of it like i stayed a couple of extra days and i started interviewing the athletes and getting them to tell their stories and every story was like some of that footage is still in the film and 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 the the stories were incredible like it and it was just one after the other of this amazing, you know, basically six and seven year old kids who were, you know, under attack in their homes in South Sudan. Their mother points uh, east and says, "You run away now," and the kids run to Kenya. And that's when they start running. And I was like, completely, I was just. And they just kept coming in, and I I interviewed about 20 of them. There were about 31 athletes in the camp at that time, staying, you know, training at altitude. And um, they told me quite matter-of-factly about this, like it was as if it wasn't a very unusual story. And in their world, it wasn't. It was the story that each of them had. So anyway, I made that short film, and or it was really a commercial actually, you know, to put on the, on site. And I just kept thinking, you know, there was early days with On's marketing and everything, and I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And I thought, Oh, there, and, and uh, this idea of run and the idea of a child that he the sound of a gun and then runs all the way to an Olympic stadium in Tokyo just gripped it. I just, it came to me and I just gripped me and I said, I really want to tell that story. I really want to make a film about it. And so I put together the program, I put together, you know, a treatment, what we call a treatment and, Mm -hmm. and I, um, started sort of shopping it around and trying to get people interested in making it and that kind of thing. And in the end, you know, I did, I realized as well that actually on were the only people that could help me do it because they're the sponsors of the team, also the athletes, and I didn't realize this, they are the ward of the UNHCR, so they don't actually possess their own image rights. They can't give away their stories independently because of the nature of their stateless, you know, their, their stateless status there's another difficulty for them is that they don't, which is why they often say, I'm a human being, I'm a human being, or they'll, you know, in the film, you hear them shout that out if they win a race or they'll say it in an interview because they just, this conundrum of being trapped as a stateless person, because you're born on one side of this line or that line, then means you can't do all of these things in your life, including be a competitive runner. So, um, yeah, that's how it started. And then, you know, towards the end of that first, very first trip, actually Tegla who I immediately gravitated to, she's really amazing powerhouse woman. And you could do a whole film about Tegla Rupe, you guys being runners, I'm sure know her history in the United States with marathons. And she's just really, you know, really a woman of action She's not a big talker, so she didn't become a huge character in the film, um, but she's just a woman of action and, and she she said to me at the end of this first trip, she said, oh, you've got to keep coming back, you know? And so that's sort of how I did it. And then I just, I, I worked it out and did trips in between my other projects and whenever there was a key event on or something, you know, an international Meet or uh, something somewhere in the world, I would gear up and go to it. Um, but it soon unraveled. The story wrote itself because, like, I was all ready to go to the Commonwealth Games in 2018 and meet the athletes there. And that was just north of me in Brisbane. And the athletes were banned from coming by the Australian government. So, all these, the normal feel good story of or what I thought was a feel-good story of refugees going for the Olympics started, the complications of it started to occur over the three years.
1: Well, and you mentioned the Commonwealth Games, and there are so many wonderful, almost what I would say are sub-stories within the greater story that is being told. We'll get our listeners up to speed pretty quickly. One thing I'll say, Richard mentioned, that he does work for certain nonprofits. For those of you who are interested in the entire scope, please check out Richard Bullock, B-U-L-L-O-C-K director.com. On there, it rightfully says he does good work for good people. This is certainly another indication of that. Also, for those who are not familiar with the athlete refugee team, it's an IAAF distinction. Simply, it's a category in which these athletes, and Richard referred to them rightly as stateless, but also think about it as countryless, homeless, familyless, and yet these athletes have reason to keep on going, to keep competing, to not just do more, but to stand for something more. And so for those of you who are not familiar with that, and I'll be completely honest, I was in Rio for the 2016 games. This was a very, very small story that I could tell amidst everything else that was going on in the games. And now to see it come to life from that particular moment in 2016 at those games in Brazil to what it is now as we adjust our Olympic timeframe for 2021 in Tokyo is just fascinating. And yet at the same time, this is not like watching an elite level team come together with all the accoutrements of what would be, considered a world-class training facility. So what I'm gonna do is jump off there, Richard, and you mentioned your first trip and your first opportunity to meet Tegla. You're right, for a lot of our listeners who are relatively hardcore in their knowledge of world-class performances, they're certainly familiar with her. If not, your story introduces us to someone who does not necessarily come across having the credentials that she does. Her heart seems to be so pure for this project and for these athletes as individuals. So when you get to the camp for the first time, when you meet her for the first time, what is it that you remember about those initial conversations or just that environment that still perhaps has imagery that burns in your memory?
2: Uh, um, well, I think the the track on which they it's quite it's quite interesting you know there's this famous there's a it, i didn't really understand you know i am i've dabbled in in running and, and knowing a little bit about it but i'm not you know i'm not uh, anywhere near like a, a runner and so there was lots of new things for me to learn about but i did i remembered going to the vapor track and the vapor track is this basically there's a school uh, up in the hill, in the, in Gong Hills. So this is at the outskirts of Nairobi, about forty, fifty minutes out, up on these beautiful hills. It used to be like it's sort of where the spread of Nairobi has gone now. I mean, it's still so. It looks like sort of city, and and not city, but it looks you know like um urban environment. But like literally on the other side of the hill there we filmed a lot of the sequences I filmed of the athletes training and, and, um, uh, the, the, the drummers and the runners running out in the open plains and all that I filmed out there. I mean, we went past giraffes <laughs> during filming. That's how sort of Africa it is. It's cl- very close to, to that world or it's right on the border between that urban and rural, you know, experience of Africa. Um, And the roads are all dirt. And anyway, the track, the vapor track is, is this, I don't know how, I can't remember how many feet it is. I was going to try and remember for your, for the runners, but it's, I think it's two or 3,000 meters. So what's that 6,000, is it 6,000, 7,000 feet or something like that? I'll have to check anyway. It's basically an old school and it's just a red dirt track and they have this very, it looks like a machine from the fifties that applies the white lines, you know, the chalk line <laughs> and uh, it pumps around this track and it's kind of track shaped. I think it's the right distance, but it doesn't look completely straight. Um, the gardens are tended around it because it's a school track. In any case, you know, it is a, uh, an elite training place. The Kenyans that are there train with the athletes as well, and that's one thing Tagler has done is she's mixed elite athletes with the refugees now in order to, you know, acclimatise them to that culture, that Kenyan culture of running, which is quite interesting. So you'll you'll be out there on the track and you'll you'll see like Helen Obiri, who um, do you know Helen O'Beary? She's won the world uh, cross country um, that I filmed, and is uh, super, you know, number one female Kenyan, and like, so there's top athletes there mixed in amongst them. So the track, to my eyes, you look at it and go, well, that's really looks like whatever, but actually that's where the athlete, that's where they do their, you know, do their miles, and like, until very early, I think iten in the west of Kenya, Iten, the famous altitude training camp, also was just a red dirt track. So these guys, you know, like for some of these athletes, when they went to, um, well, in fact, I know for sure, I think, that when they first went to Rio, it was the first time they were on a synthetic track or the first time that they ever wore spikes. So (laughs) can you imagine going into an Olympic Games trial and you may be against, you know, world champ and you, it, you'd be six or seven months since you were plucked from a refugee camp and put on a synthetic track wearing spikes running in front of 60,000 people. And you're from a remote rural South Sudanese tribe and you've grown up in a refugee camp. So the distances that they have to go physically in terms of their running lives are almost incomparable to the emotional distance they've got to get to in being transformed into a global person, like to be able to walk into stadiums and and accept that world. And that was the big reason why a lot of them, you know, I, I followed them to these big meets and events where they were really, you know, in the film you'll see in London, there's a guy that got in a heat with Mo Farah. You know, and is running on the track in London in front of, I don't know, it looked like 60, 70,000 people, I think, and running against Mo. So they, they, certainly, they certainly got to experience some extraordinary things. And I guess, I mean, to answer your question, the, the thing that really struck me was, I guess, their positivity their warmness and positivity and, and their sense of being human beings. Like, I didn't really understand that, and that was a question I really wanted to answer for myself. Like, how is it that somebody that has experienced, you know, witnessed directly reasons to think human beings aren't the greatest species around have this wonderful or amazing positivity, you know, that their ability to, to just... Strive and push on, and and um, and treat each other with a lot of kindness too, and treat me with a lot of kindness and acceptance. So I, I, that was probably the thing—the positivity I found, not not in a cliche way, just in a real learning way that you could just watch them and go, wow, because they didn't get lots of, they didn't get a lot of pats on the back, they didn't get a lot of reasons to continue.
1: Well, and that comes out so beautifully in some of the conversations that you have and some of the stories that the athletes tell. And I'm going to I'm gonna camp out on your phrase that you just used, Richard, emotional distance. You mentioned the emotional distance they've traveled that perhaps even greater than some of the physical distance they've traveled from where they started or where they were born or where their families still remained. And especially here in the United States at this time, and by the time we release this conversation, there are still many instances that we do not see. What we need to see right in front of us in terms of how we interact with each other, and quite frankly, when things have not gone our way or we've made mistakes or we have to own up to things that are part of our past. And yet, when you're having these conversations, One theme that came through in terms of emotional distance for me was that refugees are human beings too. And I heard that line multiple times in the film, and yet it seemed like they were so committed to proving that, not because of their talent on the track or their accomplishments through running, but in their interaction with one another, their interaction with others, perhaps people they would never see again. So in terms of that emotional distance... How is it that you could be witness to it and not be changed? What is it that you saw that should be a message for all of us when we think about how we interact with others who may be just down the street or maybe markedly different than ourselves? What's that emotional message that you took away and that we might see on the film, but it's even more powerful if we hear it from you, who spent this significant amount of time with those athletes?
2: Yeah, I think um because it, it it occurred to like when you're making a film like this you you go you actually go in I mean I don't know if I've ever made I well I can tell you for sure I've never made a film where I was across 3 years Okay. Or I was changing as the story was changing. Like I've never done that before. So that was, that was the first for me and quite unique. And I think what changed me mostly is I understood the story of refugee – and this is what I hope comes across in the film. I understand the story of refugee athletes and why it's a wonderful story for people to get. But I – what I often saw was in a news story about refugees or say the refugees in Rio, it was very surface, very quick, like two or three, we do so many things in two or three minute sound bites nowadays. Um, and to get into the details of things beyond like, here's a refugee and look how wonderful she's running and at the end and you feel good. I just didn't do justice for the story for me. Like I thought that by going back to where they, like I was really, it was very difficult for me to get to Kakuma refugee camp. So that took a couple of years to get to the camp where they're actually from, because what I didn't understand either with refugees and refugee camps was say Kakuma and Dadaba, the two biggest camps in Kenya and they each contain two uh I think it's 200,000 and Dadab is maybe 250,000 people mm-hmm. and Kakuma where my main characters are from has been there since 1993 and so people are now born in that camp grow up and getting married so it's not a, a refugee camp that you that you would see on the news where the 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 which which are horrible but the transient or immediate the camp that's set up to handle an immediate crisis is how we think of refugees this is a camp the UNHCR run it's a small town so it has shops it has a huge sporting culture there's a lot and I put that into the film you can see all the football mm-hmm and the runners doing their best to try and have some normality or rhythm in their life. It has religion, it has, um, you know, education and, um, that, that was quite a surprise or shock to me as well. I think also what changed for me over time was just how complex the role was that the athletes were playing for everybody. And what I mean by that is they are representing in, you know, and there may be 21-year-old South Sudanese refugee who has to comprehend, you know, who moves from whatever home that they might have had in Kakuma, which is a plane flight away or two days by bus, they move to a training facility in Nairobi they live with five or six other cultures there. So they're already lost, you know, they call themselves the lost boys. That, that whatever they've got in terms of familiarity, they're clinging onto At say at Kakuma, a refugee camp is then they're, they're dislocated again, put into a training camp where they're physically undergoing high level training. They must comprehend that, then they are sent to Kazakhstan, Japan, Denmark, to try and you know, look out a window and comprehend what this culture is they're looking at. Um, they go to an athletics meet with all the nations of the world. Then they are representing a sponsor. They're re- representing the UN, represent the IAAF or world athletics, and they represent the Olympics at times as well. Incredible weight of responsibility. And they've got to navigate that. So I don't know if that's the emotional outtake, but I think that's what I sort of wanted, the reason why I made a feature length film was because I needed people to understand it's not as simple as a feel good refugee that runs and everything's great it's very complicated and it continues to be complicated
1: well i love actually that you tied into that because i started with emotional distance because you that comes across so like i said earlier beautifully in the film but what i think you've now brought to this conversation and to my understanding not just for the project but for the story as it's been written up to this point is also the emotional strength that is yeah given what is on the shoulders of these athletes. And when Richard uses the term character, please understand that I'm gonna use this as a director's term or as perhaps what we might understand as a term from Hollywood, but character in this instance does not mean character where someone is playing a role of someone else. These are the athletes, this story 100% true with those people who are living it. So the characters as that reference is made is these people who are this story that continues to be written. So let's talk about a couple of things that couldn't help me, couldn't help but strike me as spectacular in their own way when you think about the Olympics and getting ready. Because of course here in the United States and perhaps in most first world countries, it is such an achievement just to make the trials, let alone to make the team. Yeah. And that- force the buildup to the games, whether it is just in the last six to 12 months, or it truly is that Olympic cycle of, you know, it's three years of training and it's one year of, you know, maybe a little bit of notoriety, depending on the sport. In this instance, we have situations like you mentioned in Brisbane, same thing in Denmark, where your teammates are destined, best you know, as the athlete to be next to you when the competition starts, and now for reasons that we wouldn't even think about, they're not allowed to enter the country and compete for the team in which they've been training. In addition, you have multiple instances in the film where athletes are allowed into the country where the competition is being held, but then either refuse to leave that country or they disappear altogether because it is apparently their intent to remain in that country and not return to where they would continue their training. So yep. what was it like for you, given, and I'll use your term, the characters seemingly are always changing, even though it's just one Olympic cycle and one Olympic team or one elite team, the characters are seemingly always changing. Yeah, What was that like to have people come and go for reasons that, whether it's just as a spectator of the Olympics or somebody who thinks they kind of understand what international <laughs> running competitions like all that goes out the window. How did you yeah. deal with that?
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good point. I'm sorry. I do apologize for calling them characters. It is a force of habit in our job. You know, we talk about narrative and mm-hmm. the story and characters and it's just a sort of a bad habit. Um, <laughs> now the, yeah, so that's a really interesting one that. So the guys in London like that the first guys that actually ran away, that was the you know like the film is a bit of an onion in a way, you know, it has these different layers. So you're <laughs> set up to think that it's going in this one direction and then reality strikes. And initially I was like well, my favorite like when you're actually doing your preparatory interviews, you're starting to like zone in on characters that feel for you as a filmmaker will carry the story best. So particular athletes I met early on, I was like, these guys are amazing, you know, but in the next shoot they would run away. So I was like, oh my God, and they disappear without trace for obvious reasons, because they're seeking asylum in a new country. And it did shock me initially. I was like, that changes my whole, it definitely wasn't written into my document or my treatment that this would happen. Um, Having said that, neither did it say that COVID, a mass, a global pandemic would occur and the Olympic games would be postponed for the first time since world war two. So there's a classic case of documentary filmmaking of you have to, when the river runs a certain direction, you have to let go of your preconceived ideas, no matter how good you think they are. It's just, it will, it, you can't control the narrative. You do impact and have effect on the type of story you want to tell, that's without doubt true. But in this case, I just had to let it go and I had no idea if I'd ever be able to find the guys as well. But what I found was that with time, they became more willing to speak to me. So once they were more more settled, their new countries, but actually the two- athletes that ran away in London I had phone conversations with and they they actually just they they understood what I was doing but they they did not want to talk to me or didn't want to talk to the uh, you know about their experience they were still in too much this is another surprising thing they were still in too much fear they still felt like people could get to them um and I I can explain that in a way that And this is one thing I started to understand from their perspective was like, let's say you're six years old or seven and you are, you are isolated and you run away with a group of children. You cross whatever dangers for a couple of weeks through war zones. I think for your life, there's a sense of fear or I think you'll never recover. There's mental scars there. And I think for a lot of these athletes, that compulsion to seek safety was just really basic human that they, they weren't s- changing countries or 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 running away because of a sense of oh, you know I really want to uh, you know that that perception that oh, I really want to get into this country it all looks great. They just want the basics of safety and security. and at certain points, they felt, still that they were in danger by remaining in Africa or remaining in Kenya. It's still a bit close to South Sudan or it's still a bit, and it, one of the characters, Guy Yang, who's you know lives in Germany now, that's what he got across to me was that he still felt threatened. It wasn't, he hadn't run far enough away yet. Man, and, um,
1: let that sink in as just a human being, a sense of not having run away far enough yet, That's that's a powerful thought, especially for those of us in these environments that certainly have all of the amenities that we could imagine, and more so what we can't put, at least for me, what we can't put in context just in a feature documentary is the full power and devastation of the environments from which they came. Yeah. You had conversations with so many of the athletes that had come from war-torn regions, that had come from environments where not just in their quote-unquote country, but in their villages and in their homes, the ugliest parts of conflict and war were right outside their living location or available to them for firsthand because they were a witness to what was happening brutally to family members and loved ones. Yet there's certainly this part of the film that does such, in my opinion, such a terrific job of not sensationalizing or focusing on these horrors that we, even here in the United States, Read about when we get to the international news, or can recall when we think about what we remember hearing about South Sudan or some of these other considerations. In those conversations you were having with the athletes that had such deep wounds, I'm sure, from where they had come, how did you find, as a director, the right balance of what you should tell to properly frame the story Without diving into the political considerations, or without diving into the story that really is about a war-torn region, or about you know an untenable arrangement for one dictator or one ruling party or another, how did you find that balance?
2: I looked. I just decided to look at it through the eye at each stage. I looked at it with the tools that 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 fleet had. So I didn't. I didn't give any more background information than what a seven year old would understand. So mm. in the opening scenes, I made it as bewildering as it would be to them. Therefore, one of the, uh, one of the, uh, athletes says there's oil. One tribe wants the oil. The other tribe burns the villages, kills the men and rapes the women and wants the oil. And his explanation was about as much as I put in for the, you know, I think it's 30-year complexity. Well, there's been two civil wars in South Sudan, but it's it's like 30 years of it, and the complexity is beyond anything. And I just decided I'm not even going to I'm not going to um, go into depth about that. I'm going to make it just as if you were six or seven and what would you know about that situation and what they knew. And look, there were some really harrowing stories um, from a couple of the athletes about finding their parents and those types of things in their own houses. or, And I, I chose not to put it in there because I just I, – I just – didn't feel like I needed to, to dwell in that. I don't know, dwell in that horror in a way. I thought, well, the news channels have all done that. And what, whatever, you know, about the many conflicts there are around the world, like what would it help if I explain the, the deep complexities of the South Sudanese or Ethiopian cultural, you know, uh, Uh, ethnic sort of you know there's some terrible ethnic kind of violence there and or Somalia or it just didn't I, I, I preferred to my choice was I'm gonna be the athlete at the beginning of the film a gun is fired and a child runs and I just gave you the information as we went through the film that you would be capable of understand or the audience was capable of taking on board and in some ways, I thought if I started to go into the histories of wars, people would switch off or they would just, you know, not, not take it in. I mean, one of the athletes said to me, I don't know if I, I, I'm not. it's not in the film, maybe it wasn't even an interview, but they said to me once, I didn't know there was a world that didn't have war. Like they grown up, they didn't understand that that wasn't a part of life. That's how that's how normalized it it has become, you know, in South Sudan, particularly.
1: Well, and the reason I asked, in my opinion, and you're the one who's been to Cannes and all the film festivals with all the awards, but from my layman's perspective, you did it superbly in that it was not a trip into all of the complexities of those environments where these athletes came from, but there was enough knowledge to know that the yeah. story was so deep and that there was so much that was at stake. Richard, you just mentioned something where you said this may not have been in the film. I'm sure there were lots of things that you were like, man, should I put this in the film or not? Or the expression cutting room floor, what is it perhaps that we didn't see? that you really wrestled with should have been there or that you're glad is not in the film just because of the beauty of the finished product, but at the same time is a great story
2: or helps you even understand why this story is so important? I guess there's two things. Um, The one huge missing part is between now and the next whenever Olympics. You know, that's not in the film. And I guess that was a big decision to go do we stop now or do we keep because the original intention was to keep going to the Olympic games and, um, that I didn't spend my editor and I didn't spend a lot of time considering that. We just felt the story had with all the events that had occurred without, I mean, I'm not giving away very much because it's all events that happened in the world anyway, but, once the Olympics was postponed, we'd felt the film for now anyway had had told its story because the great realization from my this is another thing that came to me and probably will come, you know, I think Australians with our love of the Olympics. And um, like you said before, you know, that. It's the pinnacle, like if you, if you go to the Olympics as an Australian, you know, you're like, that's it. You've achieved everything you could possibly achieve. And like, to find out that that's not, that's a, that's a privilege of a privileged culture, mm-hmm. that you would have the time and resources and, and um, material wealth to pursue rowing you know, or pursue uh, 10,000 meter running. But it's, it's something, you know, that comes from when you have everything else sorted. And that's what, I mean, a guy said so beautifully in the film in um, Germany, he said, if you have life, you can ha- then have an Olympic, you can then go to Olympics. But if you haven't got a life, then that, that can wait. And, I, and that I thought was really, you know, that that was pretty interesting. So that was the first thing we left out was this next stage, and um, we just didn't think it was necessary because we we they'd actually answered the question for me through all their answers. They just kept saying, well, they took the postponement of the Olympics as if you were told, I dropped the sugar, <laughs> or they they. It, it impacted on them so little that I just was I was flabbergasted. Like it, it we clearly, it was their ability to accept uncertainty and change was one of the things that made them remarkable and makes them able to overcome hurdles. They can, you know, and I was sort of pondering, wow, it'd be interesting to interview an Australian athlete right now. They're told the Olympics is postponed that could be a crushing blow to them. But for these guys, it was not a big, you know, it wasn't a huge deal. I mean, there was one, and then beyond that, there was a, an amazing story. That one, um, Rose Natike, who's 800-meter runner in the film, she, because they don't have homes, when COVID hits, you know, they're sent back to the refugee camp. Uh, which puts them in close contact with a lot of people and exposure to a lot of, you know, disease. In the first week that she got back to the camp, she contracted typhoid and malaria at the same time.
1: Oh, my goodness.
2: And then she... And it happened so fast, and she barely mentioned it to me. I was like, what? Like, I I found out... (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? I found out about it like about three days after because I was just talking. I I was just staying in touch with everybody through all the changes. And then she got up and went running. Like she had seven days in bed. Then she got up and said, I felt a bit better. So I went and did my training. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God. And then the next day she put in a floor. But I was—I wanted to put that in the film, but it was actually so we put it in. It was so massive. It, it was such a big thing. It kind of derailed the whole story. So we—we we actually left it out. But
1: uh, well, the, that was
2: really an extraordinary event.
1: The thing that I wanted to mention, and and for those who will soon get if have not already seen this film, is going into this the term of course that keeps getting used rightfully so, unprecedented occurrence with COVID-19, the shots that came, what I'm assuming, to you via some kind of maybe cloud-based storage system that were literally from the athletes. How did you make the decision then to take what obviously you as at the peak Of being a professional in this industry, and having to be somewhat reliant on whatever they could send you, and be able to weave it so you know masterfully into the finished product. I would imagine that was something that you had to at least suggest
2: made you a little nervous. Absolutely, like I had spent, like you, you know, I'd spent a lot of time actually, really thinking about the aesthetic. You know the visual nature of the film because I knew that the athletes, you know, it's like their fourth or fifth language. I was operating in English, and they they were doers rather than they say incredibly poetic things when they're given the time. Uh, but I knew that a lot of it was the physical, like I or, well, my perspective. I thought the physical beauty of them as athletes. You know, they're just amazing to watch, and. So I spent a lot of time aesthetically working with my um, DPs, directors of photography, and we really executed lots of sequences where we showcased, you know, the beauty of running and and um, the energy of it. And then I had to, com- you know, like I was really married to that way of presenting the film. I, I certainly didn't want a, a down and dirty observational documentary I was trying to bring to life the magic of this in a way as well and then as you say there I was supposed to get on a plane for some uh, Olympic trials in Doha and that was on the day before like airline lock you know shutdown and so within 24 hours everything had changed so my entire ending of the film after three years of shooting went out the window in 24 hours the oh, athletes were all were stuck in Kenya. There was all of the different people I'd met along the way The athletes based in Israel and Sweden were all coming to Doha and they were going to choose the athletes that would um, go to uh, Tokyo. And so I had about 24 hours to think about it and then – I knew that my, and they were all getting then dispersed back to refugee camps and various places. And the technical difficulties took me about a week or week and a half of figuring out a method of recording. And then I drew direction out on, I drew, drew like hand drew little storyboards of how to hold your phone. Like the main thing was overcoming that vertical phone. Mm. So the best I could get was if they held the phone sideways, I could at least get images that went across the screen and didn't abstract too much, you know, from what I'd done. But I knew they all had cell phones. I had to get them enough money because obviously the other thing is if you're in the middle of a refugee camp doing a video call, or sending video material could be virtually impossible. So thankfully like Kenya has this amazing system of mobile banking. So I was able to get money onto all their their phones around different parts of the world so that it wasn't you know causing them some distress because they might not say no I don't want to talk to you but they they would be like hesitant and then I then I'd realize oh they don't, they can't do a video call or a, endless Skype call like we can, you know, that's, that's a lot of money. So I was able to get them the money and then they did rounds of like, I really wanted those shots of them running and how they were spending their time. And so they started to do those for me and then send them overnight. And then I would give them feedback and like they would, you know, go, okay, good. Uh, Where are you running? And they would tell me stories and then I would say, oh, that sounds interesting or Jamal who built his own track, you know, he's like, oh, you know, I actually went for a run the other day for 70 minutes. I was like, where? You're stuck in, you're in quarantine. He's like, oh, there's a a bombed, a bombed flat basement of a building in, in Israel that where he was staying. I made a track there. I cleared the rubbish out. Oh, and I've got some video of it. <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, send that." And then, um, like his, that was incredible. You know, he ran seventy minutes. I guess in a look like about a thirty meter circle.
1: That's that's what how it came through in yeah. the movie as a, someone who was taking it in as an observer, and it, for someone who doesn't even like a treadmill, that actually looked worse. <laughs> and thinking about you know IT band syndrome is a real thing, right? That just looked like a fast track to IT band syndrome, but by the creativity and the understanding of what now needs to happen perhaps for, for all of us to adapt to the th- simple fact that things are changing. I'm gonna finish with a, a question that perhaps is, is predictable and as a thank you to even one of our suppliers. But before I do so, Richard, I'm gonna read something that's certainly not giving it away As you obviously know, I'm sure it was uh, perfectly timed. We already mentioned in our intro that this film was released on June 20th on World Refugee Day. And the quote that you put up from Per Biel who was one of the athletes on the refugee team, in life, we all face a struggle, either running away from it or running toward it. But the important thing is you keep on the road and you keep going. Now those are powerful words, and perhaps powerful words to each individual listening now and each individual who sees your film because they have their own story they're telling. And of course it Mm. comes with challenge and difficulty and it comes with things that need to be overcome. And yet what you bring together so wonderfully gives us something that we're now allowed to relate to our own life. It may not be on the level of distress, may not be on the level of destruction that the athletes on this refugee team know. But it gives us something to be able to say, I can relate. And that quote, Absolutely. I get yeah. so, so beautifully. But mm. I get the sense that this project might not have ever happened or ever happened as fully as what, obviously, you came to believe it needed to without the support of On Running. And On, obviously, is an important vendor of ours, a partner in our business. And it seems like they truly came alongside you as a partner. What was mm. it working with this running brand, obviously you're in Australia. They obviously are a European business. This is a team that is training in Africa. And unlike other teams that use much more recognized marks from bigger brands that are likely going to podium or have athletes we may recognize, whether they're from the US or a first world country or not, they had this investment in this team and in this story and ultimately in your work. What was it like working with them?
2: I think, um, firstly, I mean, they are the ones, uh, the founders had a relationship with Tegla, and Tegla reached out to them, I think, because, as you say, I don't think <clears throat> this refugee team necessarily was <clears throat> an obvious sponsorship for the big brands. And so, on through a personal and from what i from what i measure from what i meeting the founders it's part of their culture to support i guess running in all its forms and not just the winners you know not just the win at all costs and i guess that's the fundamental difference with this brand to my eyes and maybe that can only happen from Switzerland, which is literally a neutral, famously neutral place. So Mm. maybe, maybe, maybe the idea of winning and sport isn't, isn't so perfectly married together. I mean, and that's an assumption we all make about sport all the time. Or we like almost unconsciously, if you're not winning Why are you doing it? Or, you know, like, and that's just, that's something that I found quite interesting. And I pondered that a lot with the athletes because there is no chance of them winning. They will never win. You know, they, they're not, they, they just, that's not why they're doing it. And that's, I guess what per Beale's statement, the reason I left it there to sum, sum the film up was that what poor had understood was that if you run or you do, I mean, only a 0.00001% of the world can win. And for the rest of us, well, what do we run for? Or what do we, you know, do our projects for? Or, you you know, why do you go and do things? And what what he said perfectly was, You just get up and you do it. You get on the road and you go, you know, and you keep going. And I think I was wrestling with that a lot because I went to the big events and I had a a wonderful interview with Sebastian Coe, who was just brilliant at, you know, answering my questions. And I don't think I ever saw a more competitive human being, you know, like he was just phenomenal when I was young, watching him and the idea of gold and Winning was encapsulated in him. But I kind of understood that through the athletes, I remember sitting with Rose and I was on a, we were traveling somewhere on a plane and she started flicking through the photographs on her phone, you know, like all from Rio up till now, all of the places she's been, all of the conferences she's been asked to speak at. All of the um, schools she's visited, all of the girls she's impacted. And I realized she didn't it, that medals and and the winning there it was in her phone, her transformed life, her experiences that are now so massive and 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 she'd had a life. and and that was that was that success. And so I think that's the, you know, the thing I want people to understand is that this, this, this commitment or this like, even us as people that make films or whatever and tell stories, this idea of things only being worth it if you're winning, I think it's culturally something that has to, we've worked, we should work harder to change that.
1: Man, well, you just used the term impact and certainly, Rose has had that. I'm sure all of the athletes have. But, Richard, I will tell you, you have as well by bringing this story together and to us. We'll certainly share it every chance that we can. I'm going to publicly say thank you to Ann for their level of energy and enthusiasm and likely investment in this particular project. And, of course, we have to know, Richard, any chance that this is going to have a second installment if the game. But next year, or if they don't, the athlete refugee team. You mentioned Sebastian Coe. Certainly, his comment about the role of athletics in migration gives us a sense that that project in itself is here to stay. What about for you and continuing to tell the story? Any chance we'll hear more from you on this project in the future?
2: I think at the very least, you know, I've been talking with On, and they that you know. Here's another good thing that On did. Um, they set up a. On Refugee Day, they committed, I don't remember the mechanism, how they did it. They did it through sales on the day to support the film and to support um, the athlete, but they committed a portion of their global sales on World Refugee Day and raised, I think, over 100,000 euros and they are going to build uh, a track next to the athlete's uh, compound in Nairobi so that they don't have to, because at the moment they go to a vapor track and it's four or five kilometers away. The athletes, and it actually can be a little bit dangerous for them in that environment, you know, traveling from one place to another. They don't always have a vehicle with petrol in it to get to that vapor track. So On's next move is they're going to build a track And I've been talking with them like, at the very least, I would like to go back and do some follow-ups of where some of the guys are now and how they're doing. So at the very least, I'll do that. Um, And uh, we'll see about uh, other, other longer things. But for the moment, I still feel like the film does, gets across what I wanted to say. And I don't feel incomplete on that level. So um, I'd like to go there and just see how everyone's doing. And I'm st- still in touch with all the athletes. Like I made friends out of so many of them and, you know, got to meet their families and see so many different aspects of their lives that I'll, I'll, I'll stay connected with them for a very, very long time, I'm sure.
1: Well, that is awesome. And I'm sure you have friends around the world with the work that you do. You've made a couple more in Atlanta. I hope you'll look us up next time you are here. And ladies and gentlemen, he is Richard Bullock. This is Run the film you must see. We'll make sure you get a chance to do so. I know it's easy for me to say, it is the must see event of the year, but certainly with you being at home and you having the link to do it, if you've not already done so, if you've not already shared it, this is the utmost in encouragement to do so. Richard, thanks again, not just for your time, but also for your heart and for your willingness to be so generous with your skill set that this comes to life and this particular story gets told. We appreciate
2: you. Uh, my pleasure. It was really good talking to you. I, I, I love chatting and talking about the film. I always learn new things about it from, you know, the people's insights, how they see it. So I, I really enjoy it. It's a, never a chore.
1: <laughs> That's awesome to hear and the enthusiasm. Even yeah. as many years as you've spent on this project, the enthusiasm is still evident in your voice.
2: Yeah, I know. I love it. I love it.
1: That's awesome. We will be right back after this very brief message. Do not go anywhere. This is the Run ATL Podcast. We'll be right back.
0: Shopping for a runner can be difficult, but Big Peach gift cards make it a whole lot easier. They're perfect for birthdays, holidays, or any occasion to show you support a healthy and active lifestyle. Gift cards are also perfect for the workplace as an incentive, reward, or thank you for a job well done. Big Peach Running Company gift cards are available at all seven locations and online at BigPeachRunningCo.com.
1: And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. Man, so very cool. D2, we now have Australia leading the way in terms of countries who we've had featured through our featured conversations. Grant Mon, our first Australian, I believe he was in the U.S. at that point, Our second Australian, Richard Bullock, obviously in Australia. I don't know how many international conversations we'll have, but Australia out in front. What was your biggest takeaway from the conversation with this Australian, Richard Bullock? I found it so cool.
0: Um, For me, it was the part where, and I think he said it didn't make the film. I don't recall it, but um, the part where he said that the athletes had said that you know, for them, they were surprised to go out of Africa and and not know that, or to learn that there was a world that there wasn't war. Oh, for them, that that was uh, that was normal to uh, to live in a country to have a life where you're constantly in in a war um, was normal to them, and it just shows you kind of how privileged we are, um, and and you know how lucky we are, and you know that there are people out there that just have a completely different life.
1: Oh, man, that is a powerful realization. So well said. In fact, we'll leave it at that. Camp on that, friends, what D2 just said, and certainly in the context of this film, once again, want to give genuine thanks to On Running. For those of you who are not familiar with that brand, certainly you can check them out in any of our stores, or you can go to on Running. Dot com. Think about what D2 said and certainly go see Run. If you don't know how to get it on your own, our show notes will have it for you. Free to watch and yours to enjoy. Just one more reason that we all can say we're coming together. What we also say, what we certainly mean every day, every season. May your best miles be those covered on foot. So long, everybody. We'll see you in two weeks.